Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you guys about PicDrop, an image transfer tool I've been using personally every day for the past three years. I was sick of using old outdated platforms like Dropbox and WeTransfer and wanted something that was more catered towards photographers. And with PicDrop, it was actually founded by a working photographer who still shoot themselves so they understand what photographers need and are continually offering new tools to help deliver images to clients. With PicDrop, I can easily organize all my photos in one spot, make custom folders for each job, send video files. And one of my favorite features with PicDrop is that clients can make selections, leave notes. So this really streamlines my workflow when working with clients. I've never had any client have an issue, never had to walk them through how to download their pictures when I emailed to them, which is something I was continually doing with all my clients with older platforms. Um, so it just really streamlines my workflow and saves me time and keeps me organized. I got all my photos in one spot. Um, so like I said, I've been using this thing personally. You can vouch for it. Um, so with today's episode, with the promo code BANTER, you'll get two free months of the PicDrop image transfer tool. So go over, give it a try. All you got to do is go to PicDrop.com, enter the promo code BANTER when you sign up, and you'll free, receive two free months. Um, so let me know what you guys think, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's episode, I welcome on photographer and writer Giancarlo Valentin. Giancarlo has worked with clients such as Rolling Stone, Apple, The New Yorker, and Netflix, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Giancarlo about some of his early influences, how he approaches portraiture, as well as how he approaches his personal work that is often focused on issues that affect marginalized populations and the experiences of black and LGBTQ communities. I also speak to Giancarlo about his work as a writer, having been published in The New Yorker, New York Times, and Fader, to name a few. I was really excited to get the opportunity to speak with Giancarlo about his work, as I really respect the mastery craftsmanship in his portraits, but also for the vulnerability he shows, not only in his photography, but also his writing, which takes a lot of guts. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and also be sure to check out Giancarlo has a print sale he's running right now over on his Instagram, at Giancarlo Valentin. I'll put the link in the description, but he has some really amazing prints um, that he's offering right now during the holidays. It's going to be kind of a limited thing, um, but definitely go check that out. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> and now welcome on Giancarlo Valentine. Uh, Giancarlo, thanks so much for taking your time to do this. Thank you. Uh, it's actually Valentine. Valentine. People always get wrong. <laughs> My apologies. It's okay. Val Valentine. It's perfectly fine. Um, excited to talk to you. I've been following your work for a little while and excited to talk to you because it's like I was saying before we started recording this, I just really appreciate your work because there's this like an honesty to the portraiture and that's the type of work that really resonates with me. So excited to talk to you, but I guess uh, we're in December. We got a couple more weeks of the year. Um, I guess looking back at the year, um, how do you feel about the work you made this year? I guess. Uh, hmm. That's that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I think so. I make a lot of personal work, and I think my process is a little delayed. So I'll end up working a lot in the summer on personal photographs, and then I won't de uh, develop any of the film until like October. So I have all of this year's film downstairs, like 80% of it's developed. And then I have to scan it all, which I won't get to until like January, February to be done. So it just takes me a really long time to know about the work that I made this year. I think um, for published work, it was a fine year. Things have been a little kind of slower. 
Um, this year and last, I think they're pretty even in how much I worked, but really lovely projects. Yeah. Do you like having that gap in between like shooting the work and then like you said, it, it could be months before you actually process it? Do you like kind of giving it that time? To... I think I, I, so there was a year in 2018 where I had done a uh, residency for the first time. I did Skowhegan and when I did it um, right before I left and after I left Skowhegan early, um, I made a shit ton of work through the summer. I made work through June and July and August. And to this day, I think it's like the most beautiful work that I've ever made in this kind of three month period. And I didn't develop that work until September. So I think I got addicted to that strategy, but it has never been able to be duplicated again the same way. Mm. And now I'm realizing that like, I actually need to get to it more quickly. Yeah. Cause one, it's unmanageable in a way that like I enjoy where I have to like develop and scan a hundred rolls of film and it takes me sometimes like a month to do that whole process. So I don't love it as much anymore. I think now I need to start getting it done pretty soon. But there is something to waiting and revisiting. Yeah, because I was some uh there's like a, someone did like a documentary piece about you and you kind of talking about your work, how you view it, like it's really like a long term thing. Mm -hmm. Like the work you're making now, you really don't even know what it's gonna be until further down the line. Mm -hmm. Like have you always kind of had that like long-term view of like making your work i guess yeah since the since i moved to new york at least uh which was in 2014 i i all the photographers that i was obsessed with and studying i just noticed that the real continuity between them was how long a career they had how much work they were able to make during that time um like avidon is my favorite photographer and the thing that always gets me about avidon is that it, you simply will never see even maybe 50% of the photos he made. Yeah. Like I will, I'm collecting um, Egoist copies. And I mean, I literally have not seen full stories that he made for Egoist. He was like photographing like sharks in the water and dolphins and like photographing in the circus. And like, it's just not what you would think about of his work. And I have most of his books. So to like still be finding work that whole bodies of work, it's exciting. So I kind of want to work a little bit more like that. Yeah, that's amazing. What about Avedon's work that you love so much? Um, I think that he, like, I've, I've grown to love it increasingly. I think what I loved originally was, like, um, the American West Project, which was one of the first things I understood about his work. Um, I loved his attempt to focus on real people after a life of, like, the glamour and, like, focusing on celebrity culture and feeling, I think as a queer person, he felt deeply challenged by that kind of dichotomy of wanting to make things that were real and important, but also wanting to like be in this glamorous celebrity world. And I kind of get a little bit of that. Um, so I think I like a lot about his story. Um, his work is also just stunning. It's kind of definitive, it's foundational um, for a lot of photographers. It was him and Irving Penn for a really long time kind of going at it. They both elevated photography and fashion photography to such a degree that it really feels like a before and after them. Um, and they were like duking it out through their whole lives, which I think was like, is very like beautiful. Like, yeah. That's a really lovely story. Do you feel like you're duking it out with other photographers? Like, do you feel like a competitive spirit? Like when you see work, you're like, I gotta, I gotta bring, I gotta bring it. <laughs> I can hear my best friend be like, um, yeah, girl, answer that. Uh, I, I, I do not. Okay. Here is what I feel. I feel uh, that whiteness keeps black photographers in certain positions, uh, black people in general, but like for artists, there has to be very few. 
um, if you count all the covers that, let's say, Harper's Bazaar did this year or British Vogue or like if there is a black photographer, there's one, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's just so few of us allowed to work at the same time because if there's too many black people, it's a black publication. If it's too many black people, it becomes urban. It, it, you know, it's just kind of these racial ideas. And I think what I struggle with is being put in that position, um, knowing what I know about what whiteness is doing to us and how do I like kind of shake that positioning off. But I also think because I desire for my work to be seen um, that I feel resentful of the structures that keep me from having that access. So it's less about the other photographers. There are some photographers who maybe um, work in a similar way. And sometimes I can feel challenged by opportunities that they get that I don't get because they tend to be politically very quiet. They tend to be like easygoing and kind of like sin like there are all kinds of politics that people don't talk about about why we choose who we choose to mm -hmm. do things um like this person is beautiful this person is relatable this person is nice and then if somebody's a little bit sharper you know a little bit more critical a little bit louder um then you get read as difficult and i think as soon as that happens as the difficult person it makes me feel maybe more resentful of the people who are my peers who don't say anything yeah why do you feel like editors and people are hiring you for assignments kind of put you in a box and they're like this is what he can cover I'll yes. go, I'll, yeah and it's tricky like here is what is tricky and it, it, all of this stuff is really split down the center for me because like i understand and appreciate the left and the right so i think the left of it is when somebody reaches out and goes yeah we were really like a giancarlo portrait i think that that is such a beautiful idea like there is an arnold newman portrait there is a richard avedon portrait there's a gordon parks portrait like there are portraits these people can make um, and you can rely on it being evocative. You can rely on it being like kind of stripped down and honest. But I think the right side of that is that those type of portraits are not expensive to create. Mm -hmm. There's no set design. There's no lighting people that you need to hire retouchers. It's usually publications that think I want a really naturalistic portrait, which requires nothing. So then I don't get paid anything like my peers are being paid mm -hmm. because they don't think the work has that same value. Um, it also kind of ignores the fact that I make such diverse work um, and that people only want to see a Giancarlo portrait, which looks like this, this, and this. All right. So this is, this is a great conversation. So if the editor was listening to this, like, what would you want to say to them? Are, are there like assignments that you're not getting that you want to get? Is it, is it topics? Is it the, like you were mentioning kind of like the production side, like the uh, the set design, like, mm -hmm. wh what would you tell the editor? Because that's, like, that's the thing about being a photographer. It's really like, because as you know, being a photographer, it's so hard to, like, get a job. Yeah. And it's like you can't, I feel like maybe I, older I get, like, I'll have more of a back and forth, but it feels like you can't, at least sometimes you can't, like, even have a conversation with the editor. It's like, they want to, those email me, like, are you available on this day? And they want to give you, like, information. It's just, like, very transactionary, but I guess, like, <laughs> long-winded question, but what will you say to that editor? What do you, wh how do you feel about the assignments you're getting or the assignments you, you're not getting, I guess? I mean, I feel like for a good portion of the time, people are hiring me for things that make sense. Um, stories that deserve a level of like attention, intentionality and sensitivity. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, and I don't want to change much about that, but I do think there needs to be, you know, an overhaul of many photo editors um, because in reality, people are not doing their jobs well. We have photo editors who are not closing the loop of communication constantly. That's their way. 
So if they don't like the response that they just got, when is the picture? When is the picture coming in? Oh, it's going to come in at four instead of one. And then they won't respond. You know, like people just do not respect us enough to even respond to us. Yeah. Um, you know, that people don't send you the issue of the thing. I have, I had an editor who was very lovely. I worked with them earlier this year, made a beautiful portrait for them. And they were like, yeah, we're going to send you and your assistant a copy of the issue. And I was like, great. Cause this is not an issue that I would be able to get kind of locally. Um, never got it. Messaged this person back. Oh yeah. I'm go- We're going to send it. We're going to just never got, you know, like this is I actually happened twice this year. I mean, my, I think, <laughs> Well, a lot of my ire and anger is less towards other photographers. It is towards editors. I think that, like, I loved the idea of editors when I was coming into this thing, like Tina Brown, people who walked into a publication Mm -hmm. and changed the DNA of the publication, people who wanted to be a significant voice and to contribute. And I think last year I was, like, really, really fucking angry, and I talked to... Um, I was really grateful for this and I, I appreciated these people very much. I talked to 12 photo editors across multiple publications and each of the meetings was two hours, which was not intentional. Mm. Um, and I just like kind of went off. Like I was like, you're racist. Well, I wasn't like you're racist, but I was like, girl, this is not feasible. Like you are making these promises in 2020 in this particular moment of spotlight about how you don't treat people of color fairly. And then here you are in 2022 and we're back, you know, mm-hmm. we're back exactly where we started. Um, and I wanted to place that kind of anger somewhere. And I was grateful that these people held space for it. And I was also grateful for how much they educated me about what was going on in some of these publications and how restrictive it is and how much bureaucracy it is and how problematic it can be for them to make decisions. What did you learn? Like, um, I mean, a little bit more about the, I think it was more individualistic. Like I was hearing from people who, some people were like, yeah, I'm leaving this publication. I, I don't actually want to photo edit ever again. And they did, they left. Um, and I heard from people who were the only black person working at a place and, you know, about their individual experience. It was more for me to take in stories because I have enough empathy and kind of like logic to understand that some of these editors are not good at their jobs in some ways because of how much pressure they're under to make and produce like some of the editors at like the times are doing so many stories yeah. all at once yeah. Um, that something like responding to a particular kind of email with somebody you work with 30 times doesn't feel important. But I think that that is a little bit of a problem for the photographer on the other end who just did their best work uh, that they could do in a situation and they need some kind of feedback from you. They need to know something other than thank you. Good. You know, like, Girl, I just traveled for this job. I just sat here and edited these images as best I can. And all I'm getting back from you is like two words. That feels really dismissive if I get the two words. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's it's not easy for them, I'm sure. But I also know for a fact that some people are not doing their jobs well. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, it's just like unprofessional. It's especially when you're bringing the level of like work you're bringing, like, it takes time. Like, yeah, even though that shoot is like, you might be just photographing some person for like an hour or two, but it's like the days leading up to it, the preparation. Like, a lot of times, especially editorial, you're putting your own money into it. Yeah. And it's like the little, not like to sound complaining, but yeah, it is real shit. Like, well, I, it, I, it, it, it's it's like, and you go out of your way, you, you, cause I, I know, look at your work. You're going out of your way to make the best work every time. Mm-hmm. And the same way I try to do it. And then when you do the work, you deliver on time, you, you communicate well, and then they can't even like submit your invoice and like little shit like that. It's like, it just, 
Yeah, it's just so frustrating with that type of stuff. It's a buildup of kind of small aggressions that make for a really difficult relationship over time. But also, I really, oh, I'm so glad you said this word. I really want to kind of underline, we need to abolish this idea of complaining. Yeah. I think, you know, you are a white person, so I can't, like, lay this at your feet particularly yeah. as something you need to do. But, like, I know for black and brown people, we yeah. live under this kind of idea that if we're complaining, we're read as something. Yeah. We need criticism. Yeah. Girl, you need to do your job better. The yeah. end. Yeah. Like, I'm doing my job very well. I'm doing my job as best as I can with what you've provided. You're not actually responding to me. You're not submitting my invoice. You're not on top of your shit. Yeah. And I don't mind sounding like I'm constantly complaining because somebody has to be critical of what's happening because all of us are talking about it. Yeah. All of us are sitting around talking about the editor who treated us like this, the publication who treated us like that, experiences that we've had and the ways that we kind of like need to vent about these things. And venting seems to be the only thing we can do. Yeah. I will write about it. I will drag somebody. I don't, I don't mind. I'm going to continue to make my work kind of regardless. Yeah, and when you talk, when I talk to other friends and people in the industry, it's like it's like the same editors and people. It's yeah. like this person treated me like shit. This person treated me like shit. Now I'm like, I'm like, I'm good. I'll go find someone else yes. to work with. I'm like, and that's sad. Like, there's first of all, there's it's not like it is. Uh, there are so many magazines. Yeah. There are really so. You go to a magazine shop, you look. Your eyes are so wide. It's like a candy shop. There's just colors and magazines and covers everywhere. Yeah. So there are other places to work, but I do think like for like places that I love which is the difficulty. Like if I love a place, if I spent my life loving this place before I got my work in it, yeah. it's really challenging to go, I'm gonna just go somewhere else. Cause I've committed my actual life outside of photography to reading certain publications and to thinking about them as a particular standard. And it's really hurtful to get access to it and realize that's not real. Um, but that it also is failing. Like it might be real, but like these publications are becoming worse and worse because now advertisements every single page, 35 things you're scrolling down, you can't even get to the story yeah. because there's advertisements all over. It's just everything is shifting so much. And this like fucks up your week. Like you're just like, it's yeah. like some shit where you're just like you're going through your head like, why the fuck is this person like fuck with my <laughs> yes. shit? And then like, I don't want my, I don't want my week to be like that, man. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, I guess I was looking at your Instagram. Uh, one of the recent posts, you did a, a shoot with uh, Westside Boogie, an artist, and his son, and you said that was one of your favorite shoots from this year. I think you posted back in August. Um, what about that shoot was like so memorable and like special for you? Oh my goodness gracious, thank you. Uh, yeah, Boogie is a musician who I truly, truly, truly love. Um, I'm not a person who's like, oh, he should be bigger. Stay where you at. I want you <laughs> exactly. I mean, I want you to make money and like do your thing, but... I love everything about him as a musician and I have since like maybe 2016, 17 and IK, um, well, I might mess his last name up. I, I don't know if I say it right. IK Edeny yeah. um, is a brilliant, brilliant photographer who I love very much, who photographed him, I think maybe back in 2017 for California Sunday. And when he photographed him, I was... I was levitating in rage and jealousy. I was like, the, the photos were so beautiful. And I was like, why not me? And I hadn't worked yet. Like I hadn't been working at all. So it was more, much more a fantasy yeah. at that point. And I reached out to his people. I was like, you know, he did it. I need to do it too. I got to get my hands on this man. And for years, I reached out to Boogie's people. Yeah, then you said like over six years, you were like pitch, pitching. I, and when like... the job was done, I, ch I, Google, I checked my Google uh, email address and I saw how many times I had reached out to them. Yeah. It was grotesque and I was insistent. And one of the times that I reached out to them in 2021, 
um, I got connected to Dart, um, who is the producer for Boogie's music most of the time. And uh, when I was coming to L.A., he was going to try to make it happen finally. And I was like, OK, good. So I came to L.A. and then Boogie, I think, had to leave and go like perform somewhere. And I was devastated. And we had, I was that was the only reason for the trip for me. Yeah. And then I got to meet him and we became really very close friends. Like now his mother and I check in like every two weeks. Wow. And I like FaceTime it all the time. And, you know, he has become my family out there. And I photographed him and other musicians he had been working with who I was like, you know, also a fan of and eventually got my hands on Boogie. And by the time I got my hands on Boogie, it was really wonderful, really special and right on time because his son was a certain age where he had started to kind of like, you know, what I loved about him and his son before was they were show, he was so intimate with his son. He was kissing them all the time and hugging them all in public. And like, he'd be at a football game screaming, that's my, or I think he played basketball. He'd be at a basketball game screaming like, that's my baby. And like this, this guy's from the hood. Like he's a rapper of a particular kind of caliber. This sensitivity in him just made me so happy. And it was such a healing thing. And by the time they got in front of my camera, Darius was like a teenager. Like he was like very big. And it was just such a radically different experience. Um, so it, it felt so fulfilling and so perfect. Like I don't, I didn't have a lot of notes. I thought it was really beautiful. I'm, I'm sure you're glad you, you photographed him now instead of yeah. six years ago because your work has evolved and like, got, like as any photographer, stronger and whatnot in your approach, I would guess, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and another, another shoot you did this year, um, it was Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, I think, for the New York Times. Was I was mm-hmm. and were you surprised by all the comments you got? Like we're reading that in the New York Times, mm-hmm. so it was like pretty like vulgar stuff. And uh, what was your takeaway from that? I guess uh, I don't think surprised. I, I'm queer, so I think that the homophobia that people had for those images made sense to my everyday life. It also was odd. It was more odd. Like it was odd because. It was like, girl, this is this is the same thing I do kind of all the time. This is what I'm about. So any surprise was strange. I think what was really challenging about it was that, so the image, there was a version of the image that leaked um, before that image came out. I had not even developed the film. Mm-hmm. I was in the house working on, actually, I didn't even develop that. I got that done at a lab. So I got the film back, but I hadn't even looked at the images and I go on um, Instagram and I see um, somebody has sent me a link to a post about my images. And I was actually kind of terrified because I was like, wait, how is this actually possible? So for the first like five minutes, I was shook. I was like, I, I don't understand Did the lab leak. Like what's going on? Um, and what ended up happening was that there was a very aggressive um, content producer from Michael B. Jordan's team. And he was over my shoulder shooting. And I think because I was working with two assistants who don't necessarily assist all the time, but who, you know, really benefited from the experience, um, they didn't know to get him off my back, quite frankly. Um, And so (laughs) Michael B. Jordan posted a video of his time in New York, and this was from a video. So somebody went and screenshotted these clips from a video, um, made it into a um, four image post on Twitter. And it went viral and it was like everywhere people were sending it to me because some people knew that I made the images and, um, but I was completely disembodied. Like there was no name, there was no mention of what it was even for. When the image finally came out in the times, which was after a lot of drama of me trying to get them to take the stuff down of me, like reaching out to his team, it was really, (laughs) it was just, it was one of the worst experiences I've had in my career so far because it was it, it just disembodying was the word. Like I felt completely invisibilized 
And I think when we talk about like a particular black queer politic, it is so usual to invisibilize a queer person, uh, a femme queer person, and then also a fat femme queer person. We are constantly the invisible party. And in a conversation around toxic masculinity culture in my community, um, to be the person who made the image possible, who made the relationship comfortable enough to ask the thing, because I'd already worked with Michael before, um, and for them to feel comfortable doing this thing in front of my camera, and then for people to go, this is like, this is this gay agenda, this is this, this is that, when it's a whole movie about these men like beating each other to death, and they're actually very close in real life. Um, it just felt painful. It didn't felt it didn't feel surprising, um, but it did feel painful, and it felt really disrespectful. And for people listening, in the photo, it's it's I think in the photo, it's Michael B. Jordan's like sitting down, and Jonathan Majors he did, he has like his arm around, like stand behind him. Yeah. It was like, uh, it which yeah I didn't understand the response. Uh, well, that makes sense. This is a very black particular yeah, yeah. experience. Yeah, and it's like. With the photo, what was your goal with the photo and posing them? And like, what was your well, approach with that shoot? So the first, there were two image references. Uh, one was me referencing my own work, which I always do. And then one was me referencing um, an Irving Penn photograph um, of two writers whose names escaped me. I'm not even going to try. Uh, and the first photo went off without a hitch. It was in homage to that image. And then me referencing a photo that I made of these two artist friends Yashadai Owens and Cameron, whose last name escapes me. I'm terrible at remembering y'all's yeah. names. Uh, but Cameron and Yashadai in this photograph uh, that I made of them on Easter in Harlem. So I referenced those two images. And, um, you know, the movie was really about a particular kind of like friendship turned uh, animosity relationship where people were battling each other. There was like some race stuff involved and how that was played out in my mind. And it was a lot of this anger and aggression, but I know that these two men are very lovely and, you know, were friendly with each other. And I wanted the image to kind of feel like a counter to what the movie was about. Um, that got to what their real relationship was, uh, which I think I did very successfully. Um, I think all of it was successfully done, but the course of homophobia was a lot. Yeah. And, is that kind of your approach with most of your shoots? You, do you pull reference material for all your shoots? And is it something you're showing the subjects or the, with obviously that situation, they're celebrities, so they have PR people and whatnot. Is it something you're sharing with them or is it more for yourself, this kind of organize your thoughts and approach? It's a mixed bag. I don't think I have like a strategy. Like sometimes I'll do a shoot and I'll have a mood board. I, I don't really show, I don't shoot, I shoot the camera, so I don't do um, tether. Ever? Uh, I, once a year, sometimes. Like, I think I did, I didn't tether, did I tether that Rolling Stones, Holly and Chloe thing from last year? I, I like, there's sometimes where the, we get into it about it, and then there's, like, I'll go, okay, girl. But it's extremely rare. I can't even remember if I've done it this year. Um, I just don't enjoy it. I don't, like, I, I get really bothered by the idea of hearing people's opinion on an image while I'm framing and making the image. Like, girl, I just started. Can I get there? And like, I need to get there and commit to it before I'm showing you the photograph. So it's a pain in the ass to do it both ways because as you know now, um, you know, there's 35 people if there's a celebrity on set. Um, anyway, so there's sometimes where I show the references, sometimes where it's just for me. Sometimes I just go in and see what the environment is going to do. Because do you do a lot of research on people? Or? I do. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you feel like that it just kind of helps 
helps you how does it help you with the research going in because i know some photographers like I, when i talked to joe like a month ago he said he doesn't really do any research and some people do well, what does the research kind of uh, help you with your process i guess well i think uh because so often i'm photographing black and brown people the first level of research is have these people been photographed before um and what kind of photographs are you usually seeing of them um you know it's i, I just want to be aware of recreating something that they've already done but i also you know want to just be as mindful as possible like i photograph a lot of writers and you know i wouldn't want to photograph a writer who writes about a particular thing and then frame them in a way that kind of like is offensive or inconsiderate people come to the image with so much insecurity so much discomfort so there's research and then there's like preparing for what they have approved already what histories they have photographically so it's just to get familiar with the people um i, I love photographing writers i think that's like my sweet spot um because writers are my a-list celebrities most of the times so and they're funner and easier to research because i get to like read the writing watch interviews it's just more exciting um, so yeah, I think it's, it just makes me feel more well-rounded when I'm approaching something serious. Mm. And with writing, yeah, cause you're, you're a writer and, um, was writing something that came to you first or photography or like what kind of like creative pursuit kind of came to you first? Uh, writing. Yeah. So I went to school for writing at Towson University. I was an English major, but I wrote also as a young person, um, for a lot of my life on and off. I had a diary practice when I was young. Um, I did a lot of epistolary writing when I was young. So yeah, I've always loved writing. And then when I became a photographer and I'm like looking in these books of Avedon and Penn and all these other people, what really moved me was their photographs of people who were not typically starlets or actors and actresses who are prepared for posing in front of the camera, but like elderly people, people who have been writing for 45 years, people who are haggard or like, and how do you find beauty in that? Um, so, and I don't think that all the writers I photograph are haggard, elderly. <laughs> but you know, I really do love bringing, I, I keep using the word serious, but I do, I think portraiture is really serious business. Um, and it does such important work of honoring an era for a person or time. Like when somebody's promoting a thing that they worked really hard on, so I try to really come to it very seriously. And with your writing, is that something you do daily still? Or Absolutely not. No, it's just... no. <laughs> no, I wish to God, uh, and I'm really trying. I'm, my goal for next year is to write a lot more, moving into this house and kind of like resituating myself in a more peaceful environment feels like, um, you know, a wonderful way to think about writing more consistently. But I'm an emotional writer. I've read a lot of um, emotional response things. Uh, and that comes and goes. It really, it if I'm like over the mood or like if I don't feel the anger anymore, like the sadness, I'll like put it down for like a year. And what is it about the writing process um, that you enjoy? And is there like any similarities to the photographic process for you? Or is it two different kind of things for you, I guess? I think writing and photography necessitate each other. Um, I think that, and there are a lot of photographers who actually disagree with this. I know some photographers who have like a more street photography or photojournalistic approach who believe that the image should tell the story and that's it, uh, which I think is strange. Um, context is the most important thing when looking at photography. And I think that's how we get to so much racism and sexism and problematic qualities of photographs because we don't have context. We just see beauty and we allow for people to dominate the gaze of other people, to, you know, displace storytellers of color 
because the image is pretty. Like you see the hip hop 50 thing just gets me on fire um, because I'm seeing finally all of these white photographers who really cut their teeth um, photographing hip hop culture and now feeling like they have authority over it and now having empires that they've built um, on images of black and brown people who are no longer alive, who died because of the quality of life that they had trying to live up to an image of hip hop, trying to have a lifestyle. And these white people have gone on to have gallery shows and have beautiful lives and sue people for the usage of their images, the rappers themselves, you know, this Jonathan Mannion thing with Jay-Z, you know, stuff like that. It's so audacious. Um, but also, you know, black people allowing it to happen has been really frustrating too. So I don't know. I, it's, <laughs> yes, I think that writing in context, uh, their necessity for each other. I think that you must caption images. I want to hear what Gordon Parks had to say about those Kansas photos. I want to know. I want the details. Um, I also think it's a beautiful relationship of poetics. I think, you know, my favorite writing is writing that has poetic sewn into it. And I think that they just go perfectly together. Like, I want to know the interior world of the photographer, but I don't need it to be like, I was walking down the street in New Jersey on October the 1st. I want to hear like, what did it feel like? You know, that's just, I'm a person who moves from feeling. Um, as a photographer, I move from feeling. As a writer, I move deeply from feeling. Um, so I think that they belong together for me. And reading some of your work, have you always just been comfortable this being so open and like vulnerable about yourself and your life. Um, one essay you wrote, it's a, a life in twos for, I believe, the Apogee Journal. Mm -hmm. Very personal work. It's on your website. Have you always just like felt comfortable putting that out there? And like what made you want to be put that such personal, your your life out there, I guess? Oh, God. I'm going to forget the quote. Elliot said it last night. My best friend, Elliot Jerome Brown, said this last night. I was on the phone. I'm probably going to fuck it up. But I'm not even going to try it, but I will say the general gist is that he spoke about how important my autobiography is to my photographic work and how they really can't be separated. Um, and I, I was like, oh, yes, I don't think about this. The quote was really beautiful. I think I wrote it down and put it up on the wall downstairs in the studio. But I think, um, you know, a lot of things have happened to me. A lot of things have happened to people who look and behave and perform their identities like me. Um and, you know, it's been a lonely, isolating experience to live as a fat queer person from poverty, yada, yada. So I think that, you know, to feel less alone, which allows for me to do my work, you know, to feel less lonely, less depressed, less isolated in trauma and trauma, uh, trauma heavy experiences. I need to be in conversation with people about it. I've always felt very strongly like you. The worst thing that happened to you is probably the thing that has already happened to another person in the room more than once. Um, and that building community over that bad thing that happened to you is probably way more beneficial than quietly suffering the bad thing that happened to you. Um, I worked in social work, the social work world uh, as a case manager and other different roles, but mostly as a case manager in shelters um, and group homes. And, you know, this is a space literally built on trauma. Those spaces were all about trauma. You have 16-year-olds coming into the office and talking about the sex work they had to do last night because they couldn't get a bed at the shelter you work in. You know, like, these are real lived experiences. Shame really has no place. Privacy uh, is an important factor for how people, like, share their stories. They feel comfortable to talk about things that have happened to them. But I do think that my own politic 
isn't being completely open um, and intelligently so, you know, not exposing people or like telling anybody else's story as my, you know, like anything like that. But I don't know, it just feels and how like that, that essay that you mentioned is the very first thing I ever wrote um, with the intention of publishing it. So I was in college um, at Towson University and I lived in New York um, and I had a dream about my grandmother that now I have forgotten, but I think I wrote it into the essay. Um, and I woke up from this dream and I just started writing and I was making all these interesting connections and I wrote this thing that felt like garbledy good the whole time. And then I like sat on it for a couple of weeks and then I started thinking about the journals that I was reading. So I was reading Apogee Journal cause I was taking a lot of poetry classes at Towson, um, and creative writing classes. And I sent it to them and it took, I swear to God, I think it took a year to get it actually published but they wanted it immediately in the editing with Alejandro Varela, uh, who is a beautiful, beautiful writer. Um, he was my first editor. He was the standard for editing. Deep, deep, deep care over such a sensitive story and like walked me through this process that took forever. Yeah, what's that experience like working with the editor on such a personal story? Is it a different relationship from a photo editor versus an editor who's editing writing? Or like, mm. what's that experience like? It's very different. I, I want to almost say that it shouldn't be, but it is. I mean, technically, it's just a different thing. Mm -hmm. But my my wish for editing was that it felt like somebody was holding my hand through a difficulty. You know, like an editor is supposed to be a teacher. An editor is supposed to be a support structure. Editors are supposed to teach photographers as well. Like I, I do think that there's a teaching component to editing, um, but I definitely feel it is a necessity to support. And I know that for somebody like a Joe Pug, who is like a legendary photographer, he might not want an editor to feel like he's holding his hand. He's been working in this game for a long time, but I think for younger photographers, it's necessary. Um, and there's a fine line between teaching, condescending, um, teaching, controlling. But I do think that when you're doing a difficult story, the editor should check in, mm -hmm. you know, like if you're on the road for a story ever, you should have nightly calls with an editor to be like, how was it today? Even brief text messages, some kind of communication. Um, so I think the editing of writing um, can feel, and the editing of that writing specifically felt really soft. It felt suggestive. It didn't feel assertive ever. It was just like, you know, this, can you color this more? Can this, I want to smell what was going on there. Can you write more in texture? about the environment. Can you give me more visuals um, of what was happening? Don't get straight to it so quick. Show, don't tell. Um, and I, I think that's just the most beautiful thing. And I've been edited um, with my writing a lot since then, but I'll never, I'll never forget Alejandro's hand over that piece of writing. Yeah, it was a really powerful essay. Definitely people Thank you. should read that. And uh, so you, talking about that like how you say you want to have that conversation with the editor every night you enjoy that collaboration aspect of yeah. like working on projects i do too because it's very rare yeah. and and the times that it does happen surprise surprise the work's always better i am a phone person like mm -hmm. if you got a job i want to have a conversation like because so much gets lost in text and email and, and like you can just cover so much ground in a five minute phone call than like going back and forth on 10. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I long for that. Uh, the collaboration too, man. It's a yeah. collaboration in not only just resources, obviously having a team and being able to do that stuff, but yeah, having the conversation. It's uh, yeah, feels like a dying thing. Like, feel like back in the. I get, and, and again, after that conversation with all those editors, I get it that I'm not 
always aware of how much pressure is happening behind the scenes, how busy people are. Um, so, you know, I guess it's tough, but it is so important. Yeah. All of the best stories that I've ever done that were stories, I had like a lot of support throughout the process. It's not like I can't do my job, but things are going to happen on the ground. I'm going to make a decision. And if you don't like, I just had a job. I'm going to try to talk about this the right way. <laughs> I just had a job um, where I traveled for it to multiple places. And there was a level of privacy to the image making that needed to happen. And, you know, there was an editor who I worked with once before. And that person's communication that first time was really unclear. And we had a little bit of a hiccup yeah. um, where the editor had expected me to talk with um, the subjects maybe like a month in advance. They had sent me the contact information for these subjects. And 30 days later, as we're approaching the first the week of shooting, they were like, oh, I had ex I wanted you to have reached out to them by now and like started building a rapport and started like talking to the people. And I was like, I don't usually do that. I don't think that's necessary. The rapport you build in person mm -hmm. and I can still talk to them on the phone. It's a few days away. And that person was very rude to me. And I was really kind of triggered by the, it. The editor. The editor. And I was like, it was really condescending. It was really kind of like, you should just have done this. And I was like. Did you tell me to do it? Well, that's your process. This yeah, so, you know, it's not even about process. I think it comes again back to this idea of, did you tell me that you wanted me to reach out to them? Because I would have reached out to them. I would have had absolutely no issue, process or not. And that shoot got finished. That person never, ever spoke to me after that. Wow. That person did not speak to me again until they reached out to me for this assignment a year and some change later. This assignment happens. I go and I'm making images based off of the things they told me and my best judgment. And they're not using the photo. They don't want to use the photos. I get back. I do all this work. I'm The work is genuinely stunning, but it apparently misses a small mark. I'm trying to be vague, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing this. Most people were like, no, nah, it's This is the mark. Yeah. And they go, can you reshoot this? And I go, under no circumstance. And I really meant it. If the shoot was down the block, I would say no. Because you stand by it. Because this... the images were as best I'm going to do with the subject matter. Like, yeah. this was a sensitive, private, unique photographic exchange. Like, I could not photograph a person and showed this part of them. It was really specific. Was it like a stylistic thing or like a mood? It, mo it was heavy on style. Like you could not photograph people in a particular way. Um, you had to like photograph them outside of a particular kind of box. And I did it and I did my best. I, and I really, when I tell you I stand by this work, the work is stunning. I think it does it right. And I think it was, it had range which was the most important thing. Because it was so particular, I wanted to try everything I could in an environment before I left it. So I sent over 150 photographs to this person and they go, no, can you reshoot this? And I go, no. And this person is like, well, I don't think my, my, my I, so you know me, I mean, you don't know me, but if you yeah, know me, yeah, you yeah. know I went berserk, yeah. respectfully, to go, absolutely not. And also I won't be working with y'all again because the communication here was abysmal. And this is the second time it was. Here's the first time. Here's where I think we went wrong on this. Yeah. Also, I just traveled for seven, eight days on this job. You didn't call me once. You didn't check in with me once. Yeah. So if this were genuinely an issue, where were you in the process? Yeah. Um, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not the, you know, what I'm, what I have genuinely learned and what I'm committed to understanding about myself as an artist is that there is my work and there's editorial work. Sometimes there's overlap. Sometimes there's not, but I don't like shit and I'm not going to do the shit I don't like. If I don't like working with you, I'm not going to work with you again. 
if I feel restricted working with a place, I'm not going to work with it again. Like we are always taught so much about burning bridges and like, well, you don't want to say the name or you don't want to say the thing. The reason I'm not trying to expose this particular thing is because it's NDA based. Yeah. But like, you know, it is crucial for me to live my life in a way where I'm not about to kiss nobody's ass. Yeah. If nobody wants to work with me, I'm going to continue to make images for myself and I'm going to work at the Starbucks on the, you know, well, uh, absolutely the fuck not Starbucks girl. My bad. Um, <laughs> fuck the free Palestine. Yeah. Let's not go down that road. But uh, the coffee shop on the corner, I'm going to work yeah. at that coffee shop um, and make my images because yeah, I don't, I don't desire to feel crammed and restricted but also penalized by people's egos and like not respected. We are not respected anymore. Like photographers are the help. Yeah. Photographers are walking on sets, getting paid $450 to be there and are the brokest on the set. Like there are people who are there to, and it's no shade to anybody's role, but there are people on sets who are steaming clothes. And the sole purpose is for them to assist the stylist by steaming. And they are making two or three times more than the photographer. There's no respect for us. We are completely interchanged. We are completely replaceable to everybody. And if you are a black photographer, Jesus Christ on the cross, like you are really interchangeable. Um, so to know all of that and then to like kiss ass yeah. and then to like kowtow for some, it'll, it just could never be me. So now I'm moving away from like certain types of work. That's like, I mean, Cause looking at your work, like it's, there's an approach, there's like a mood, there's a, it's, I can't imagine like you deviated so far. Like if, if they hired you, they probably looked at your work. Like this is like, it's not like you're going to break out colored gels and like start doing like HDR shit. <laughs> like it's crazy. I mean it, yeah, it was a lot. It was, it was strange. And the work felt like me, I think. And that's, that's the thing I, I said, I appreciate about your work. There's just an honesty to it. And I think sometimes, like, when people get into photography and it becomes a career, at least for me, it's not about getting hired. Yes, I want to get hired and I want to make money, as much money as I can and, like, live a good life. But at the end of the day, like, if I wanted to make money, I could do another career. Yeah. It's about making work that is meaningful, matters, and seeing your work, I, I tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like that's what it's about for you. It's It's... It's building a body of work that means something for you, and it's going to be mean something in the future for hopefully other people and resonate with them, right? Yeah, I mean, that is the the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> like, is if you work, if you photograph a writer, if I photograph a writer, I want that image of that writer to stand up in conversation with how that person's life panned out. Yeah, right. So, like at the end of their lives, when they're doing the documentary about that uh, that writer, I want my image to be indicative of that period of time. And I feel that way about any person that I photographed. I met this guy in Harlem six or seven years ago. He had a facial tattoo. I was working on a project that I wanted to do around demystifying some of the stigma around facial tattoos. That like, if you get a facial tattoo, you're some kind of loser, or like you'll never work again. All this other shit that's kind of coded in a particular kind of, you know, you don't want to be like those people and those people are usually black. Um, and, you know, I wanted to do a project on this. I ran into this guy who had a really beautiful face tattoo. We scheduled some time. I made this portrait of him. He couldn't even find a babysitter, so he brought his son along. And his son was a couple months old, really cute. And this is really beautiful portrait that I've always loved. And, you know, I made a bunch of photos of him that day, but this one just comes to mind. Often it feels indicative. It's like, this will be one of my images that people will remember if people remember my work at all. And, you know, 
I've kept in touch, which is one of the things I try to always do. And he moved to Atlanta a few years ago. So we went down to Atlanta recently and I made a photograph of him and his son again, who's like six or seven years old. And like that kind of continuity and that that's the most important. Those two images of I die right now could be the most important images I made. Um, and they're about people who were just average everyday folks just going on about their business. Um, and I want to photograph them the way that I photograph any celebrity. And I want it to be non-hierarchical and I want it to be considerate of time. Yeah, so it works like timeless. It, that like it, it's, it's very nice. It, it, for real, like, cause it's like, like I was saying, it gets weird when you try to mix art and commerce. <laughs> it get weird. Cause you know the feeling like where you're like, shit, ain't been working. Yeah. I like, I need to make some money. And you start to like make quick rash decisions in the long term. It's actually the exact opposite thing you should do. Yeah. Have you always just had that confidence to like look at it that way? Like, and stand by like, no, this is, this is my approach and, and communicate that to editors and be like, nah, this is, this is my approach and this is how I'm going to do it. Or like you're saying, I'm not going to work with this person or whatever. I've had always been yeah. that person. Yeah. Like when I was working in social work, I got fired all the time and I got fired all the time because I was this person. I was like, girl, that's racist. I'm going to call you into this room. We're going to talk about it. If you don't like how we talked about it, girl, you, you're going to fire me. It's going to end up. So like that happened a lot when I was working in that world because it was always some kind of rabble rouser energy. Um, before I got an assignment, I wrote an essay for the Philadelphia Print Works um, about... <laughs> black people needing to be in control of their images period but also especially in crisis um so you know the freddie gray thing had happened in baltimore he was murdered by police and i was seeing so much problematic coverage in baltimore city and you know it made me enraged and i wrote about this and in that piece i dragged the new york times i dragged all the publications whose year end lists consistently are and have been uh, people dying all over the world that's the rewarded image like people go out here and that's like how people frame the goal like I'm in the New York Times best images of the year because I photographed someone being murdered or like you know like it's so perverted and problematic and you know I was dragging that shit before I had ever gotten an assignment mm -hmm. um, and you know it's not about you know the place per se I, I really do have such a long life long love of the New York Times because I read it when I was a child it was one of the first things that helped me to learn how to read um, so when I'm criticizing it and places like it, it's from that place of like, damn, I really wanted this to be a good place as it pretends to be. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And, you know, that's kind of how I came into this industry. And I think that's how I will go out of this industry, but it has wavered. Like there was a period in 2020 where work was coming for the first time, um, and I think that not enough people, and this is something that I'm writing about now, not enough people have thought about um, what does it mean to show that you actually could let everybody in? Like you actually could open the gates and everyone could come in and everybody would be fine. Like the idea that there's not enough for everybody to go around, that there's not enough opportunity. You know, there are already established white photographers working at these publications, working for this advertisement, working for these companies, and they like to work with the same people over and over again. 2020 showed us after George Floyd was murdered that, oh, actually all of us could work. Black people can work. We can make the same caliber, if not better, images. And if we're given the opportunity, we can perform to the opportunity, eat it right on up, and there is enough to go around. People aren't sitting at home crying about being you know, out of work. People worked. I worked with my white peers who I had looked at outwork me for years. And during that time, you know, new opportunities came. 
And I remember I was shooting my first commercial job, which was to this day, the worst job I've ever had in my entire life and taught me so much, Lord have mercy. And one of my favorite things of all time that has ever happened, Joe Pug sent me a copy of um, Avedon Advertising. And, you know, I was struggling. I was like, I want to shoot it like this. I want to shoot it on film. They agreed when I signed a contract. Then they changed it after I signed it. They were like, no, no, this, no, that, can't do this, can't do that. It's about everyday people, real people. Then they got to get retouched to fucking gahoozits. You know, it was a completely different thing. And I was really wavering um, because I had already agreed. It was a whole production and it was money. It was the first time I was ever getting this kind of money. It was just a chaotic experience. And I think it was like the day before, if not two days before the first day of the shoot, Joe Pug sent me this book from him. Like he sent it from his home, not like Amazon did. And he signed this really beautiful note on the inside that made me cry furiously about how even Avedon had to pay the bills. And he sent me this really thoughtful book. So, you know, there have been times where I have like wavered and felt unsure about like asserting my voice in a particular way or just not, not even about voice. I don't like to do that. I don't want to do that. You said we could do it like this and we can't. I'm a, I'm a back out. Um, so I think that was one of the only times I felt the need to kind of go, ooh, should I continue to do this because of money? Um, and it was a nightmare. It turned out, you know, the images were, were fine for what they wanted. But the people that we were photographing felt really dehumanized oh, yeah. um, by this company and like voiced it throughout the process. And it broke my heart every day. Because they, the initial brief was that they wanted this real people and let them be themselves, but then they, they like stylized it and make it something yeah. that, that they weren't. And it was cruel. Like there was a, the one of the first days of the shoot. And I'll speed through this. We had a woman that we were photographing, and the people, the company was on Zoom because um, it's still pandemic times, and they were talking about this black woman. She had a beautiful fro, and they were like. Why does she look so scary? Her hair is so big. Like, and she's standing there. Her nose looks a little fatter in person than in its picture. And I fucking lost it. You know, this woman is sitting here like gesturing discomfort. And it it was that kind of thing. It was me going off on these people, threatening to walk. It just became drama. Wow. Um, and the people who get read as difficult from this are not the people who are on the phone being racist, being disgusting, being yeah. sexist. It's me. It's me who pulls this woman aside. Is like talking to her. She's like emotional. She's like, I thought that they wanted us to look like. And I'm like, yeah, girl, I thought so too. But this, how we gonna do it? Blah blah blah. Like, it's we are like what I have understood of the post 2020 moment is that they wanted to bring us in so that they didn't feel accused of not hiring black people. But they did not prepare the space for black people. They did not prepare an ounce of nuance for black people that they hired. They did not make any considerations. They were like, all right, now you can come into the building. But they didn't do any preparation for what black people actually uniquely needed to make their work. And where do you see it now and in the, the, same in the future? Well, actually, now we're not getting work. Yeah. So everything has rolled back. Yeah. They're like, we did it. We we made the post. Yep. And it's whatever. We hired, we got the one black photographer on our roster as an agency representing photographers. We good. We got one. We got one who does this. He can do, he going to do it all. That's going to be that. Yeah. I mean, it's fucked up, man. Yeah. I mean, how do you how we change that? Like, it, do you see, are you hopeful for the future? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, no. And you know, I'm I'm in the middle of a pivot. I want to lean into writing a little bit more. I want to work on um, writing and photography married in book form, and that be my thing for a while. Um, the celebrity shit is not for me. You know, I love I love 
there I photographed Ruth E. Carter, who is a celebrity to me of a particular caliber. Yeah. And I cannot speak highly enough. Do you hear me? Like I cannot speak highly enough of this woman. The grace, the the, the generosity, how she invited me in her home. Like I was so nervous because I've had a string of difficulties this year. And she was so wonderful. You know, I photographed Kalela early this year. Wonderful. Um, I love Kalela. Um, I photographed who I, I photographed a bunch of people, and you know, many of them have been really wonderful. And I want to like clear that, like, and it's usually black women who are really wonderful, not a lot of ego, just kind. Um, so I don't want to say uh, celebrity evil. You know, I don't want to do that. Don't hire me for that. What I want to say is. Um, that I'm not a celebrity photographer yeah. and the same really wonderful celebrity who you spent the day having a great time with will not tag you in an image, um, you know, because they don't want to affiliate their brand with your brand and the PR companies are like, no, don't tag this person because if they do something then you're affiliated with this person and yada, yada, we got to untangle that mess. Yada. The contracts, it, it's just, it's so like the contract that comes in at midnight before your celebrity shoot in the morning, yeah. please, you can never use these images ever again. Uh, don't even look at us. If you want to use a photo, call us on the phone. Like just the most ludicrous things yeah. that make the photographer completely invisible and completely without rights. We're getting paid too little. We have no rights and we're not even tagged because the tag could bring in work. The tag could bring in attention to our work. We don't even get named, you know, like from even wonderful people, like beautiful, amazing people um, aren't even doing this small gesture of gratitude because we just are not valued. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird with social media and all that thing. Like what's your relationship with social media? It's because uh, I know I was reading a post that I think you took like seven months off at a time and you'll, you'll just deactivate it and walk away. Like, yeah. Cause I think about this to myself. I was like, if I just completely just delete my Instagram social media, will I still work? Will I, I wonder, I always wonder like, does it actually help me out as much as I think it does? You know, mm -hmm. what's your perspective on social media? Is it a love hate? Is there anything positive you take from it or I have lifelong friends from social media I have like some of the best friends in my life came from meeting them on social media first um social media has made building community in London an easy thing a possible thing um I have like if I I wrote a newsletter that was really heavy on me being suicidal and depressed last month um because of like family drama but just also a really rough summer of not talking to my family and my mom and there was a person who offered me to go stay in his house. And he like lives in Amsterdam now. He had a house uh, in upstate New York. He was like, you know, this is my family's cabin, home. Um, if you want you, he had read a line where I was talking about how beautiful it was to have the leaves under my feet, realizing it was fall and having my like first autumn latte after coming back from LA. And he offered me to go to his home. And I was just like, you know, that simply wouldn't have happened without a digital interface between us. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that there is a tremendous value. A lot of people, I'll like post on my Instagram when I haven't worked in three or four months. And then someone will be like, oh, here's a job for you. I love that you are reminded. You put it in like a parenthesis, like hire me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that shit. <laughs> because I want to be where I want to eat food. Yeah, like you got to let, them, you gotta let them know. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people will hire you because they are literally forgotten about you. Yeah. Um, when you were out of their sphere of experience. 
that to me is the real struggle because for photo editors, they're hiring from social media. Yeah. Nobody's going to the websites anymore. Nobody's at the photo fairs. Nobody's at the people aren't going out into the world to see what's happening in photography. People are swiping on their phones, like, oh, this person looks like they could do the trick, um, which I think is a real disservice. And it continues this relationship that feels completely disconnected where there is no accountability, where there is no community between you and the editor. Um, so I think in part that is my relationship is really complicated. I love being off of social media for like four months. Mm -hmm. um, there are seasons where it is easier and seasons where it's harder. It's harder in the summer. Actually, you know what? I can't even say that because this summer I was off social media and had a fantastic time. So you say it's harder in the, uh, to be off it in the summer or easier? Yeah, because you kind of like you're somewhere beautiful. Like, yeah, you're yeah, on yeah. that beach. You're like, I want to share this with my <laughs> friends. So, you know, like some of that can be, you know, I, I dabble in that joy as well. Like wanting to be like, yeah, girl, I'm at the beach looking good. Here are my friends and me. But I think for the most part, it fucks my personal mental health to no end mm -hmm. to be on social media, especially when work is slow. Because when work is slow for me, yeah. And I'm seeing that everybody who works in the similar way to me yeah. is like killing it right now. It becomes a, what, what am I doing wrong? Is but, this me? But, but it's funny that, yeah, because it's a, it's a human thing. Everyone goes through it. But you realize, you just like make these scenarios up your mind. Are they actually killing it? Or that's a shoot they did six months ago and they're just posting it and they might not have been working for the last No, maybe they're yeah. killing it. Yeah, maybe. Now, they might not be because most of the time it's people who I know. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, but I get it. I get it. You yeah. never know. Yeah. Like, I, I definitely understand that. Yeah. Whatever the, the thing is, it makes me feel so bad. Yeah. And it there is no remedy. What will happen is like, I'll notice changes in my physicality. Like I'll notice my eyes being a particular kind of dried out, out my temperament quick to anger in a particular way. Like it just, and I'll go, somebody runs my social media. Um, when I'm like, uh, when it's time, I give the password to a friend. Okay. He changes the password every month or every two months, bless his heart and allows for me not to log in uh, unless I need to share a thing that's coming out or I need to advertise a thing that I've done. Or if I'm in, feel, in a feeling lonely moment and I want to like, talk to some people who are not in front of me yeah for me i feel like it's so the thing with social media it's like i talk about it all the time because it's like we're all inundated with it it's made us all like nosy people mm -hmm. whereas like before that wasn't possible it was just like someone like you don't run into that often like maybe i'll see him every year every 18 mm -hmm. months be like what have you been up to like and then you did have a real conversation but now it's just like what what this person do last week? I know where you had dinner last week, and I just like it's Jesus just, Christ. It's just like not healthy to like know. Like yeah, so you go down to the comparing things. So it's like I don't know. It's like I try to manage it myself. I'm mute, mute often and early. That's my my, my, my <laughs> that's, that's my run. And not even because I have a problem with them. It's just like noise, and it's just like unhealthy. It's just like mm. too much incoming. You know, your social media is also yours, and I yeah. learned that early on. Yeah that's your space i don't give a fuck about nobody else's experience of that for me yeah i remember before that they uh, before mute was a thing on social media i blocked people <laughs> with such ease do you hear me i'm talking if i saw before the advertisements were every other post and it's yeah, just yeah. a nightmare there would be photographers who would just show up in my feed who i personally didn't care for how they lived or their politics or their affiliations or how they treat people that i know and I would, baby, I would liberally block these people. Yeah. And that was wonderful. Thank God for mute. I don't have to go through the trouble of like that kind of flashback, but you know, get people out of the it, way. It's like any relationship in your life. And I didn't realize this until I got older. It's just like, 
just because you know someone a long time, like you don't need to like be around them. Like, no. best wishes. Like, but I don't need yes. this in my life right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If it's making me feel a single thing I don't want to feel, you gotta get on. You yeah. Gotta go. Yeah. And another thing I was interested in talking to you about that I really appreciate about your work and like following you on social media is you have like a, such a respect, I believe, of the history of photography and the people that came before you and were sitting here in your living room. You have all these amazing books. <laughs> How important is it for, do you think, as a photographer to really understand the history of photography, but not even just photography, art in general to help inform your work? Because I feel like it's something maybe not everyone takes the time to do mm -hmm. yeah i mean for me personally it is if you fall in love with a thing you want to go into the rabbit hole of the thing like if you're about to if even if you just fall in love with it mm -hmm. if you're not sure you're going to commit your life to it but you're just in love with this thing my strategy for that kind of love has always been to deep dive and be like, oh, I want to learn everything about it. I want to know everything about it. It's like being in love with a person. I want to know everything, every detail. Yeah. Um, so I think in part is that it's also like if you want to be masterful at something, you have to know where it started. You have to know where it is now. Um, and my desire is to be, um, you know, masterful at photography. And, yeah, I, I also to know who you are working in the, you know, in the stead of like who who came first in that particular way of working um i love a simple portrait that has a few components that a hundred thousand other photographers have already done mm -hmm. um i want to know that i also talk a lot about photography and i don't ever want to be ignorant like there's plenty of people who i don't know who the hell they are yeah um or plenty of books photographers i don't have but like um i don't know it, it feels essential to me what i realize is that there is there are a lot of people who are younger who don't feel compelled to learn about the history of photography, who want to, in their minds, find their own way. And they eventually, I think, realize there's no other way. You have to learn. Um, and I've seen that full circle happen now, where like somebody who was really recalcitrant, really did not want to read, really didn't know anybody's name. I'm uttering Daube, this person, that, they don't know who the fuck these people are. And resisted like really aggressively like I don't I just want to make images I want to like have my own voice I don't want to like sully my voice with other people's voices and then eventually they come around to realizing girl you must <laughs> and there's it's the most wonderful part of being an artist is the research of other artists why would you want to not do that you don't have to do it in the classroom you can do it at home on your own time yeah. so I think it's odd yeah but I think maybe eventually most people come around I can't imagine starting photography now because it's with, mm. it's like even this the way people shoot now. I could be wrong. I've noticed because I've been doing this a long time, and uh, the way people like I feel like younger people, the, the, a lot of them shoot with live view. Like they don't even look through the lens anymore. Not saying that's wrong, but and I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I wonder if that's a side effect of like if you're younger, you always had a smartphone and you shoot this looking at a screen and now they kind of do that with photography it's mm -hmm. just like and just growing up in social media where there's this like there's like little styles of photography that only exist like on twitter and mm -hmm. like instagram and it's like it's like very when i look at it, it's just very kind of the surface level there's not like a lot of depth to it a lot of times but it's like eye-catching when you're first getting into it but i don't know maybe that's just their their journey and they got to go down their own path 
it's it's just different. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Like, I don't know if it's their journey because this is so new. Yeah. You know, we are in a new age, so we don't know the things that we want to dismiss as gimmicks now. We do not know that we can dismiss them the way that things were dismissed in the past because yeah. technology is just in a new place yeah. and it's ever evolving. I will say the live view thing. I have always kind of hated live view. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> but my uh, again, Elliot Jerome Brown Jr., who is and I I want to be very clear a way better photographer than me and one of the best photographers working on this earth and not because we're friends, yeah. but because of the level of quite genuinely that person's genius is mostly insurmountable. I can't even calculate how smart this bitch is. Watching Elliot, I remember watching Elliot sit on the floor in New Orleans for like three or four hours writing about a beam of light moving across the ground and using that writing to like name images. It was just, it was one of the most beautiful me falling in love with my best friend moments that I've ever had where I was like, wow, this is a thoughtful bitch and a creative genius. And then the work, like Elliot's work is confusing to a lot of people um, who kind of want a straightforward photograph. I make very straightforward images. I don't care very much about innovation yeah. or like, you know, a unique, like critically weird angle. That bitch is in another dimension and shout out to her. But Elliot shoots on live view. And when I first met Elliot, I was like, girl, what are you, what is this childish elementary school shit you're doing? And I shoot on live view now sometimes because of Elliot, because of watching Elliot's process, it has rubbed off on me and it helps. Yeah. It helps me. Elliot shoots just like a film photographer and that Elliot will stand there and look at that live view for 32 minutes before pressing that shutter because he's getting a frame and kind of building that world. And now it has shown me how to appreciate digital photography a little bit differently because I hate digital photography yeah. 100%. And this has maybe made my hatred go down to like 93%. <laughs> Thanks to Elliot. Thank you, Elliot, for that 7%, bro. What, what is it about their work that you appreciate most? Oh my goodness. Um, the thought that goes into it and, and i and you know this is that thing to me it comes back to uh context or the image like the image telling the story and being powerful enough to hold your attention versus like the writing writing a bad image into goodness because it's really good writing i think that elliot just makes these images that you don't know always what's happening in them but it's so poignant beautiful striking the composition's gorgeous it's unique. You just don't go into an Elliot image and go, oh, that reminds me of anybody. Elliot has had to build language to describe his work versus most of us have to borrow the language of other people and be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that too. Yeah. Because nobody is working in that same way. Um, it's odd to me how, I mean, underappreciated is wrong because Elliot has had a lot of success, but he should have more. He should just have more successes um, as an artist and should be working a lot more. It's kind of, a strange thing but you know it's not for everybody that work a, tr a true creative yeah because that's that's, like an, a that's an artist like yeah he is doing art with that camera and not like it is it's just it's special his work is very special he made an image my favorite image of elliot's um it's so odd and i don't know how much he's talked about what the actual context of the image was but it's an image of this woman in a church pew a photograph from behind with two hands on her back kind of comforting her and, you know, this image is outrageously beautiful and so odd because at first it looks a little salacious. It's like, what are the, where are these, where's the woman whose hands are on this woman's back? A little less she down there doing a little something. <laughs> um, but then like it's this thing, but also the context is that he's in the middle of a funeral 
for a famous civil rights person and is making this, I mean, the image is just dynamic. The story of the image is dynamic. The writing about the image is dynamic. It's just a great photo. And so much of Elliot's work, I think, to say it properly for me, requires you to actually care. You can't look at the photograph and get everything from looking at it. Yeah. You actually need to read it and you should want to because it's an alluring photograph and there's an important context. Do you find like the work that you're inspired by these days is similar to your work or very different from the type of work you do, you think? Very different. Yeah. Um, I'm really getting into, I used to really hate um, pinup photography and like photography that featured nudity. I think Robert Maplethorpe ruined the nude black male body for me for a really long time. Um, and uh, in photography, certainly not in the boudoir. But um, yeah, it ruined that as an idea for a long time. And, you know, I was working on this project of nude portraits and I wanted them to be this. They started out truly as an intellectual exercise around um, an essay from Alexander Chi called After Peter. And ooh. Should, should I keep going? Yeah, you can go. Okay. Uh, they started uh, as an intellectual response to um, an essay by Alexander Chi called After Peter. And the day that I read that essay at Skyhegan in 2018, I discovered Peter Hudra's work for the first time um, because there was a library there and they had this beautiful book. And in my brain, those two things melded together. And I started to think about the essays, Peter, as Peter Hujar. And I was thinking about the relationship between that writing and those photographs and wanted to create a body of work that did something like that, where there was writing and photography that did that thing. And as I started to make this project, the intellectual part simply fell away. I could not make the connection that I was trying to make because none of the people I was photographing were queer. Um, which was the bulk of that essay's point. It just became a different thing. And I started to feel a lot of sadness around it because I was like, damn, this project's falling through. But then I was like, I'm also just making these photographs that are really beautiful and that don't feel sexualized at all. And is it okay to just kind of make nude photographs that don't have an intellectual kind of thing attached to them? Is it like perverted? Is it problematic? You know, there's a photographer who I used to like hang out with when I first moved to New York who is known for his hip hop work, is known for his like, you know, pop culture work and was huge for a very long time and is having a resurgence now. And people don't know that he had an entire, I mean, a colossal body of new portraits that he made, new photographs. And, you know, I was very inspired by the idea of having such a completely radically different body of work. Um, but that still felt like it got to the essence of who you are as an artist. So, you know, I, I'm really inspired by photographers now who, um, are a little bit more fearless when it comes to that, a little scrappier. You know, I did not like, um, I don't know how to say this man's last name and I'm, I'm scared to try. Kara Walker's husband, Ari Markopoulos? Oh, yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is the last name? Did I say it right? Mar yeah, Markopoulos. I have a book. Incredible, okay, yeah. Incredible yeah. photography. He, okay, so, you know, I did not like his work. Yeah. Um, I was not moved by it. It felt way too vernacular. It felt way too everyday. Um, and I'm like that. Like, if I don't like something, girl, you got to give me like a decade. I'm going to come back around to it. Yeah. Um, because it just, it felt so often in its collected form, like ephemera, which maybe I didn't appreciate at the time. He made a lot of snap snapshots, yeah. a lot of blur, a lot of, it was not composed well, lit well. So I was kind of like not into it. And I watched a documentary about him, a little short film about him in Japan with Jason Moran working on a collaboration together. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. It was so odd. And it's not even about how much I loved the outcome, but these two worlds coming together in Japan felt so crazy as shit to me. And I was so enamored by that. And then I started to look at him speak about his work a little bit more 
And I just started to appreciate it differently, which I think, at least just for me, might have to happen. Like, I'm critical about it in the beginning, and then I'm like, actually, you know, I kind of fuck with this. There, see, Ari's work, he was actually one of the first photographers that I, it really, like, his work meant something to me. Like, mm. I grew up skateboarding, that was my whole life. Mm. And Ari has this whole book where he documented, like, skateboarding in, like, the early, mid-1990s in New York City. And this, like, legendary pro skateboarders, like Harold Hunter and all these amazing like uh, skateboarders that were in new york at the time but it was like you're saying it was just like snapshot mm -hmm. but for me as like a skateboarder it really resonated resonated with me mm -hmm. because it wasn't like a one-off this like beautiful picture it was like the body of work and it was like i know that feeling of being a skateboarder with my friends and in that space because I, I feel like when you the longer you're in photography i feel like there's always this like especially like editorial and stuff everything's just like polish it more and polish it more polish it more and it's like you realize like oh actually sometimes there is a need for the polish whatever but like mm -hmm. the photos that can mean the most in the future is like it doesn't need to be it could be whatever like a snapshot like you're saying like it's mm -hmm. it, it's it's the the honesty this the the feeling the mood for me you know? yeah i agree yeah. and i'm not the audience of that skateboarding thing so i wouldn't feel the connection to yeah. it and as a photographer who kind of like built my eye and education in photography on somebody like avidon mm -hmm. or somebody like paul diamato or somebody like somebody who is like like compositionally gorgeous yeah um that was how i went into it but like now i'm like trying to shake my own shit up because i'm bored by my work and i like i'm a lot of the personal work that i'm making is not work that feels so much like um the work that i have been making maybe the last four or five years um so i'm appreciating i have a bunch of ari's books now mm -hmm. um and you know i appreciate for me that i can be that wrong you know like i wasn't online dragging ari's work but like yeah. in my circle somebody was like do you like his work i'm like girl no i don't like that shit <laughs> and you know now people are like oh bitch i see you reading ari i'm like i surely am i appreciate it now it's so great <laughs> you know like blind spot by teju cole is such an interesting book because like it to me is so important to the way that i'm working moving forward mm -hmm. but when i read it the first time i was like girl i do not like these photos at all and this is art historian writing so the writing didn't have much to do with the photos often throughout the book like they weren't paralleled um but also he would be writing about like some shit about socrates and it'd be a photo of like some trash on the ground and i'd be like girl i'm gonna fight you this is irritating to me and over i mean i i became obsessed with that book because i was like I am not seeing something and I'm going to learn how to see this. And I took that book with me for years. Everywhere that I travel, I was in Hawaii with that book. I was in fucking London with that book. I'm in a cafe, <laughs> eating a croissant, reading that book again for the 44th time. I have multiple copies of it. There's one on every floor of my house. Like, because it taught me to undo the thing that I was like having the impulse to do with Ari's work. And I'm still unlearning the desire yeah. to dismiss work that maybe is not as mature work that is not as polished work that maybe is i'm not the audience for yeah and just be like i'm not the audience for it now yeah there's a lot of photographers like that for me who like in a stylistic sense don't like resonate resonate with me but i'm like i really appreciate like their their this like passion for whatever they're doing mm -hmm. and this like this constantly doing it like you know what I mean that's the thing that gets me hyped more than anything absolutely there's a lot of people like that because you can't deny a body of work like at the end of the day they were working they were building this body of work and whether it was for me or not for me the commitment to this thing like all of the skateboard photos that I've yeah. never seen or don't have the connection yeah, yeah. to emotionally 
that's such a beautiful thing as an artist. Like what I'm drawn to is somebody who's committed yeah. to their practice. Definitely. And uh, we, you touched on a little bit uh, that you hate digital photography 93% now, not not 99. Uh, <laughs> uh, the film thing to me is so interesting right now because mm-hmm. I started with film. Like I started doing photography in the 90s and I, I still shoot films sometimes, not as much anymore. But it seems like there's this huge resurgence of like film culture, especially on social media and all these people talking about it. I know you shoot film like primarily. What is it about film that you like? What do you think about this, the film world these days, everything going on, I guess? Um, Black and white film, for me, makes my work feel more connected to its source. Like, if I'm drawing from the, you know, the source of Avedon or Parks or um, Dalek Bay, I want to make work as closely to them as I can. Um, I can find my way from their reference. You know, I can find my way from their inspiration of what they were doing and why. But like visually, that was my learning. Like that's what I find beautiful. I educated myself on that work and thus I think that that work is so beautiful. Um, So film texturally just possesses a thing that digital can't do. And you know, Joe Joe Pug will send me videos of somebody who edited a digital file Mate. so good <laughs> that it oh, you can't tell it apart from film and I'm like girl get away from my father um you know that I'm never gonna be in that what's gonna happen for me is if I leave film it will likely be because it is discontinued yeah um but you know I also I just think it's a more beautiful textured rich image I feel more involved in the process when I make a film photograph because I develop my own film um, so I'm seeing the image. I'm like walking down the street. I notice the thing. I ask to make a photo. I make the photo. I go home. I develop it. I like let it dry. I scan it. I where I print it. And like I brought that thing into the world fully. I'm. It's a physical thing. I'm developing film with my body. You know, I'm like agitating and moving. There's a connection to the movement. Um, something like Dianita Singh would point out, you know, about how, you know, when you take in a breath and make an image, that you are making that image with your whole body and with your breathing. Like, I know that that seem, can seem a little bit fanciful or something woo-woo or whatever the hell, but like, I feel so deeply rooted in my work. And my work is very slow and my work is very personal and intimate. So the idea of, you know, touch and body um, being involved in the process is also valuable to me. Um, yeah, I just think it feels more, I feel more involved in the process of film. And the landscape, Lord have mercy, um, you know, this is the thing that happens in every arena uh, where people go, oh, people doing that? Oh, that's how they're getting on? That's how they're making it? Okay, cool. Let me do that too. And then people are like, oh, this is cool and interesting and fun and new. Let me do that. And, you know, the downside of it for us is that the price of film has gone through the damn roof. 20% cost. Um, oh, year. fabulous. I mean, they should take it to a million dollars a roll because at this point, <laughs> like, we can't afford to shit anyway, yeah. so girl, go crazy. Yeah. Um, it's so awful to think about how capitalist and corrupt it is to do this when it doesn't cost that much to make it. And I'm done hearing people at Kodak be like, yeah, it just, it's so expensive. Girl, shut the fuck up. Y'all said the thing was out of commission. You said you couldn't make it no more. You shut your factories down. And the five photographers who stored all of that film brought that shit back out. And now you bring everything back. You bring it back. You, bring it back. <laughs> you have the resources. Shut your mouth. Um, and it's so, it, that irritates the skin off my ass. But outside of that, yeah. because all of the legends that I love shot on film 
and then moved to digital and were grateful yeah. for digital, grateful to not have to cart around, you know, a portfolio around town. They could just make a digital print, grateful to not have to do all the labor of working with film and like film times and the, all of the drama. Uh, they have a different relationship to it. So I also can appreciate that I am a part of the newcomers to film who are like, ooh, film, oh my God, it's just a new fun thing. So to some people, I feel like I'm the same as these young ass people that I'm irritated by. So I think it just happens. Um, shout out to all the girls shooting film. Yo, ha <laughs> um, hashtag, por hashtag portrait. Hashtag girl, lower <laughs> these fucking prices. The <laughs> pandemic has receded at least a little bit. Can we get the prices down? Okay. Yeah. And uh one series, uh, in the interview you did with Andre, you mentioned you don't really work in series that much. No. And But there's one series I love. You, I think you've been doing since 2018. You photograph all your hair appointments. Oh, I do. I love it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Like, Thank you. That this, like, goes back, like we were talking about, like, all right, like, that work's not, like, I wouldn't say, like, polished, like your other work. It's very, this kind of snapshotty, but it's mm -hmm. just, like, I don't know what, what is it about that series that this resonated with me? Like, what inspired you to start doing that? And, and then on top of that, like, self-portraiture because i know you do some of that like what do you kind of learn from that experience um deb willis made a beautiful portrait of carrie Mae weems getting her hair done um and when i was like much younger as a photographer i saw that image and it's just always stuck to me it's also an image that uh, image that elliot has loved and kind of brought up a lot um i think i feel like he was in a book once or i, I feel like there was a book once that like did a different thing to contextualize this image and Elliot either gave me the book or was in the book or something. So it, it has resurfaced a lot. And um, I had always been making self-portraits since like most of my time in New York, maybe 2016. Um, so I was like, oh, what the, I, I go and spend all of this fucking money at this hair salon um, to get my locks retwisted. So I must uh, document that process. And it was so irritating in the beginning because they always have so much turnover with who the stylists are. I had my stylist all the most oh, of the so way wanted the consistency that so I want but more or less the consistency <laughs> and more how people are so uncomfortable because my stylist just got used to it she okay. loves it she she knows it's coming whenever she schedules me she knows what's going to happen all right but everybody else is like what the fuck is going on over here and i'm like you know if y'all had seen me for the last five years coming in here then you would know that this is kind of what i do so people can be a little like are you like directing it or is it really just like no, a quick no, uh, 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 yeah, good uh it's it's more of a quick like snapshot situation um, but I like, I usually do a whole roll or two um, in the chair. I like to do the whole process. So when I come in looking crazy as hell, I'll take a picture. When I'm, I, I recently started doing the pictures of my hair getting washed. Yeah. Um, because that was a little, that felt a little much to do back in the day. Cause I can, I'm really shy. Like I don't, uh, I'm very shy, contrary to whatever people may think. Um, so like pulling my camera out is always this kind of like stealthy thing I'm trying to do. Yeah. And, but I made a really beautiful picture of myself um, get my hair washed or get my hair steamed. And I was like, oh bitch, oh yeah. Okay, so now I gotta bring this into it too. I used to do a picture in the bathroom after my hair was like perfectly retwisted. <laughs> so it's a whole little thing. Um, and it's really just for me, like I don't really show that work at all. And it's very lovely. It's one of my favorite things. I appreciate it. Is it there's just like something fun about it. It's fun, it's yeah. very fun. Uh, I got a few more questions I'll let you get out of here. It is, uh, when you look at your work, like I'm always just curious to ask photographers this. Like, if someone asks you like about your work, like how would you describe your work? What do you hope people will take from, away from it? Like, if someone asks you like what kind of work you do, like how would you explain your work? I guess mm, it changes. The language at least changes. I don't think the through lines change, but um, I think my work is 
an attempt to do a few things. The first, center um, everyday life for Black people. Um, I think that, you know, my lived experience doesn't look like the stereotypical idea of Blackness to me. You know, I've lived through all the things that would ideally be stereotypes and the ways that white people view Black people, but nothing about it has felt, you know, stereotypical because Black people are so just dynamic. Um, so much of the things that connect us are still unique to us. We're not monolithic in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm really interested in nuance in life and the food I eat and anything I'm the pieces I'm writing, pieces I'm reading. I want nuance all the time. I want a counter argument all the time. I want some agitation to my thinking all the time. And I think as a photographer, I want to create a nuanced look at what it is like to be a black gay person who is feminine, who is documenting everyday black people, um, because who else name another photographer, you know what I mean? Who does that? Who has done that? Um, and that my perspective, my vantage point, the homophobia that I'm going to experience is just going to be different. So the images will simply be different. So, you know, just documenting how much I love black people, how important it is to me that we understand that everyday people are dynamic. Everyday people have really incredible stories um, that they walk around and carry in silence all the time. Um, and I want to offer, you know, a moment of centering for that person or those people. Um, when it comes to a more historical zoom out, I want to make images of artists and newsmakers who I think were culturally significant during this time. Um, and I really want to commit to doing that better. Um, there was a thing that happened, a person, a young person who I know who experienced a sexual assault, um, when Biden was running for president. And there was a lot of news about Biden had, having apparently sexually assaulted somebody. And this black young girl asked me, she was like, well, why did you photograph Biden if he's like a rapist? And baby, the way I felt absolutely fucking nuts because the photographers who were my peers, um, who I was like working alongside, who I understood the praxis of, at least in my mind, were saying things like, well, he's a newsmaker. He's like important for this time, it's a historical figure. It's somebody who is doing important work right now. I would never photograph that man again for the rest of my life. After what that person said to me, it was embarrassing. And I don't think about the image as a place of shame. I think about the image as a place of learning. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm like, all right, cool. Kamala, Joe, y'all can go ahead. Like I wouldn't do that again. Um, but I want to be in a particular kind of integrity in the work because I have to stand on it. Like if I'm making images of people who are predators or people who are doing the center forth, if I don't know, great. Like I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, but if my body of work is going to stand, I don't. I don't desire to have the body of work where you look through all these really controversial, violent people because they were newsmakers. So when I talk about newsmakers, I mean people who are making the news in my community, people who are making the news and moving us forward, um, and trying to make space for Black people and for artists and thinkers. Um, so I think that there's a real important desire to photograph Black artists who are doing that. Um, and I'm, I guess more broadly to touch on issues using a unique perspective, issues that are faced by queer people, by trans people to make sure that trans people feel centered in that work, feel, you know, collaborative in the process of making that work. Oh, I don't like that photo. I don't like how I look. I look too, what up girl, don't you ain't got to worry about it. I'm going to take that photo up out of there. Um, and to be accountable to that. I think, you know, the reason I hate doing any kind of interview or any kind of podcast is because you kind of staple your ideas to the wall. 
that were your older ideas. Like, as soon as you leave my house, my ideas might have changed. Yeah, it's a constant evolution. Yeah. yeah. And I think I would hate to, you know, really, I, I, I need to, I'm trying to save, I'm trying to shake off the insecurity about making mistakes. Like, girl, I thought that was the way. That wasn't the way. Now I'm going that way. You know, like, I think that's okay. Like, I think it's okay what? to have photographed and done or defended a thing uh, or not spoken. Like, I, I'm, I'm cool. Like, yeah. I am okay. Because you're still learning. That yeah. I mean, like, that would just be, yeah, it'd be like, you're not learning. Like, you're, it's the constant evolution. Your, your, your perspective's going to change because you have new information to, to understand, I guess. And that's the difficulty of visibility in social media. Yeah. Uh, because people are interested in what you do yeah. and they want to talk to you about what you do. But once you open that mouth, <laughs> you say the wrong thing, people will come and people will always have criticism. But I think a lot of criticism is valuable. I think a lot of criticism is coming from the right place. Yeah. Um, that gets to me. Yeah. I don't know about everybody else's experience of criticism. So I think that's what my work is about and what it's doing right now today. It's kind of vague um, because I work in a lot of different capacities. But I do think that everything that I'm doing is trying to do that. It's trying to make space for my marginalized identities. It's trying to like, you know, make sure that black people, their history is being captured by a black person who loves them, not by a black person with a pathology towards respectability politics. You know, I think we all struggle with some of these things as black people, but like I am trying my best to honor black people as I'm finding them in the world who are beautiful and unique as I'm finding them in the world. That's great. And I guess to wrap up, um, like I said, we're going into new year, new year here in a few weeks. Uh, are you, are you like a new year's resolution person? Do you got like a, a goal, like a goal board or whatever? Like people do like, do you, do you set, I hate to be the person to say absolute fucking lily, but I have the most insane new year's resolutions every year. And I get about 30% of them done. Hey, that's like, good. That's good. <laughs> it's so nuts. I, every year I tell myself, actually, girl, maybe do 10. Like, maybe just commit to 10 things. But, like, <laughs> I'll do stuff around my physical health. I break it down into categories, like physical health, mental health, family, friends, money, blah, blah, blah. So, yes, I'm I'm working on my news resolutions this week and next. Um, I, I should have did them in September around my birthday. But, uh, yes, I'm a New Year's resolution person. And, I guess, photographically, anything you're hoping to work on in the new year? Yes, um, oh, I, I couldn't. Oh uh, God, can somebody hire me to photograph Nikki Giovanni? Yeah, you know I have. I'm tired of emailing and begging and pleading. I'm tired of waiting for it to be topical, because you know, stop this, stop the nonsense. I want to photograph this woman. Y'all know I'm going to eat it up when I do it. Just let me find a way, find a story. Let me write the story. Like just make it happen, because I've been trying to track this woman down. That is one of my New Year's resolutions that I need to literally like go find this lady and like pull up to the classroom and be like, "Hey, girl, I'm so sorry to pull up on you like this, but it came to this because why? your ass can't answer the email, and I need to make a portrait of you before you leave this planet, girl. I love you. Why? Why is that so important to you? I, I mean, she is one of the last giant trees of a particular black woman literature giant um her sonia sanchez um who's my other girl nikki finney uh there are a few alice walker that are still living from a particular generation uh Ale um angela davis excuse me that i i mean i would literally die i would just die to photograph them it would be my like my life stream um to contribute to their legacy to honor them with a portrait at this stage of their lives and we black people have lost so many um really important figures who were never documented by us 
and with a particular level of investment or care. So, you know, that's a part of my life's work. I really want to do it. And a New Year's resolution will be to find a way to do it. I know you've written a lot of interviews. Aaliyah was a very, like, uh, important artist to you. Yeah. What is it about her music or just it, it, that was so special to you? I think the Aaliyah thing is just really complicated. Uh, I think my love of Aaliyah, kind of the short of it is that, like, as a young femme queer person, um, she taught me a lot about beauty, um, about gender identity. She started off very masculine presenting um, and you know, blossomed into a femme person presenting in another way. So the kind of range of presentation through age was really important to me. She was such a prominent, significant figure in style. And I always care about like beautiful style. She was well-styled, she was really beautiful. So I think aesthetically Aaliyah had a lot of a chokehold on me as a young person. But I think her commitment to family, she was just known for a lot from a lot of people's perspective to be angelic mm-hmm. in the way that she lived. And I think a lot of people just felt that. And I, I don't think I'm special in having felt that. I do think as a person who was sexually assaulted as a child, people who were sexually assaulted can maybe spot other people who've been sexually assaulted um, and who are victims. And like, I mean, this might be a little woo-woo too, but I do think that victim of sexual, uh, victims of sexual assault can see something in other people who have been sexually assaulted and feel a particular kind of deep connection to them. Um, so, you know, I didn't know, I didn't understand the context of Aaliyah and R. Kelly when I was really young. Um, but before she died, I really got to understand that. And yeah, I don't know. Over the years, I think about my relationship to her. I mean, she's the most important woman next to my mother to have ever lived, I think, in my life. Like wow. she really taught me so many quiet lessons um, about grief, about pressure, about um, career and about ambition. She is the vehicle with which I started to understand, you know, child celebrity and child stars and how manipulated they can be and how unsafe they are. Um, my love of like, you know, social work is rooted a lot and like justice for her. I, it's just so deeply embedded. Like my entire life, since I was like four years old, there were Aaliyah posters in my like room. So she's just a figure. She's like, um, a lot of people understand God to be like that, a picture that was in your house your whole life, the church you went to. Like she was a religious figure nearly to me. So deeply important. Wow, that's amazing. And well, uh, I guess strange question. Strange question. To <laughs> you can hold me something else. <laughs> I know, dude. I, I don't know. Because you were talking about the artist that you really wanted yeah. to, pho- to photograph her. And then, because uh, you mentioned it in in, in the essay, uh, Life in, in Twos. Mm-hmm. And then you it, you you posted her Vibe cover. Mm-hmm. And it was this, obviously, you've written about it mul- her multiple times. I knew it was And plan to write about her a lot. Yeah, so that's why I had to ask it. Because it, yeah. so, so it was so interesting. But, um <laughs> Yeah, man. Now let's let's end it on that. I like to keep okay. keep it interesting. <laughs> keep it in. Keep, keep it interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I uh, really appreciate you uh, your work and uh, taking the time to do this, and uh, look forward to seeing what you make moving forward, man. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you for coming all this way. Yeah, definitely. So there you have it. That was the Giancarlo Valentine interview. I uh, just want to thank Giancarlo so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure talking to him about um, everything he's done within photography and writing. Uh, just truly an incredibly talented photographer and writer. Um, definitely go check out his website at GiancarloValentine.com and give him a follow on Instagram at GiancarloValentine. I'll put all the links in the description, um, but he has some really amazing work. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, he's currently running a print sale um, over on his Instagram 
I'll put that link in the description, but he has some really amazing prints up for sale right now during the holidays, um, which is, I think it's just a limited thing he's running. Um, so definitely go check that out if you'd like to uh, purchase a print. And as always, uh, thanks so much for listening. We got more episodes coming. And also just a reminder, um, if you're interested in checking out the PickDrop image transfer tool, you can just go over to pickdrop.com, enter the promo code BANTER, and you'll get two months free of the PickDrop image transfer tool. So thanks so much, and see you next ep episode.